0: Welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I am your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, November 16th, we're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-16. to 16. In today's text, St. Paul tells the Corinthians that his preaching among them was nothing but Christ and him crucified, and that is where true wisdom comes, wisdom that is received only through the Spirit of God. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Rick Jones. Pastor Jones serves as chaplain and vice president of spiritual life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor Jones, welcome back to Sharp Iron.
1: Absolutely, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me back, Pastor Apple.
0: So we get to talk about 1 Corinthians chapter 2 today. Give us any context that we need from this epistle, what Paul's written so far that'll help us with this chapter.
1: Yeah, so uh, we're looking for a time frame. This is likely a letter that's written in the, the mid-5th century, left like 55 AD, or excuse me, not mid-5th century, fifth decade into the, right. the first century there. Um, so about 55 AD, uh, and if I understand... Um, sort of the the missionary travels correctly here. Uh, Paul's time in Corinth takes place in about 51 AD during his second missionary journey. Uh, and also, at by the time he's visiting Corinth, he's traveling with Silas. Barnabas has kind of left and they've picked up Timothy uh, as they've been traveling around. And Paul had, uh, initially visited on his second journey, and he stayed there for a year and a half, which is pretty unusual because he was usually, um, you know, run out of town because of his teaching. Uh, they weren't so up for it back then, I guess. Um, and now, again, if my understanding is correctly, um, it's not always the best on these sorts of things. <laughs> uh, but uh, there was only one stay at any of the churches that was longer, and that is at Ephesus, where he stayed a little over two years, and that was on his third journey. Um, And so maybe this lengthier stay gives Paul sort of a closer connection to the people at Corinth. He has a stronger bond with them. And it might be why he's able to so directly and openly discuss some of the lapses in faithfulness in his public letters that he's writing to them. Or maybe, I'm just reading a little too much into this, and because Paul always does speak directly about uh, sin when he sees it. right? He's, he's a good preacher. He's, he's calling out the, the sin as he needs to. He's helping the congregation get back on track for faithful living and living out their lives in view of the gospel. But uh, that's kind of where it's at. So 55 AD, it's the first letter he's written. We Seem to think he probably wrote up to three letters to Corinth, and we don't know if we've got the first and the second or the first and the third, but we're pretty confident this is the first one. Um, So yeah, dealing with the the things that are going on in the congregation from what he's heard uh, from other people as they've been coming through and the communication that he's had, and he's just trying to keep that connection going and uh, help the people walk their life of faith.
0: Yeah, I think this is the we could have as many as three letters to, to Corinth, maybe four. Yep. Yeah. This, is, I think, is actually the second one. In chapter 5, he's going to oh, mention okay. his, a previous letter that he wrote. Uh, but, your, but your comments about him being a pastor to this congregation, I think, are, are helpful. Certainly, as you said, St. Paul is not afraid to say what needs to be said, to call out sin where he right. sees it, even in congregations that he hasn't visited or spent a lot of time there. But I do think you see his pastoral relationship with this congregation in particular, likely because of his lengthy stay there, as you said, yeah. second only to the time he spent in Ephesus later, and also just to his ongoing correspondence with this church. He had sent them a letter, they had sent him a letter, now he's writing this letter to them. So he's oh, had some yeah. back and forth with this congregation already, and he's that I think that correspondence certainly comes through in the tone that he addresses them with in this letter. But we noted in chapter 1... Yeah, we spent three times together on, on chapter one here on Sharper Iron, how often Paul refers to them as Christians, he calls them brothers, we're going to see that here again, so that even as he has some harsh things that he needs to say within the body of this letter, he does so speaking to people he loves, fellow Christians, his brothers, and, and certainly I yeah. think that very much comes through in this this letter. And going into this chapter, so we talked about in chapter one the importance of Christ crucified in that message mm-hmm. that's going to come through here in chapter two. in terms of the the way that we see this text in First Corinthians two show up in our life together in worship, how does it show up there? What might that have to help us as we consider it today?
1: Sure. So um, I guess the liturgical context, how we we are most likely to see this this text in our in our faith lives is is Uh, In the lectionary series A, so I guess if you you think of A as the first year of the lectionary cycle, uh, lectionary series A, and it is Epiphany number five. So Epiphany, I think that's a very fitting usage for this passage. Epiphany, the season uh, celebrating God's revealing of Christ and the gospel to the Gentiles. It opens up, you know, the season itself opens up with the Magi visiting the child Jesus and that idea that this this is for more than just the Jewish people this is for more than just Israel this is for the whole world the whole season is about god his light shining forth to all the nations that divine wisdom overcoming any worldly wisdom you know it's the it's then we see sort of that theme even in the Numpdomidus or Song of Simeon, for my eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to lighten the Gentiles and thy people, Israel. Uh, we get it, you know, every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, this this idea. But specifically in Epiphany, that is what this reading is kind of about. There's there's a wisdom that's deeper than the ways of the world, and it takes faith for it to be revealed. Um, In that context, so Epiphany 5, they pair it with Isaiah 58, 3 through the first part of 9 and with Matthew 5, 13 through 20. The Isaiah passage contrasts sort of outward empty signs of faithful or things that people make into piety uh, with a lack of true inward faith. So Isaiah is showing the hypocrisy of those who make a show out of their fasting and their religious rituals by pointing out their Uh, uncharitable and even sometimes malicious hearts, right? They're taking advantage of people, even though outwardly they're acting so good and faithful. that's the classic setup of acknowledging God with their lips, but being far from him in their heart. And then that Matthew passage is the second section of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus encourages his hearers. He's calling them salt of the earth and the light of the world. The section ends with Christ's explanation that he was sent to fulfill the law And not to abolish it. So, again, that idea of we are all welcomed into Christ, into the faith, because He has taken care of any obligation that might not be there. I think the grouping of the text fits pretty well for the season of Epiphany, as the true life of faith and the true knowledge and wisdom of God can only come by the Spirit, which is the gift of faith. Without God's gracious revelation, we are lost in the darkness of sin and hypocrisy. It is only by God's epiphany, divine revelation, that we understand the salvation granted through that saving Messiah, and only through the work of the Spirit that our lives truly reflect the salvation, our salvation, in our faithful lives.
0: Yeah, I think the, this text in particular from 1 Corinthians will fit right. well into that thought of right. epiphany for that reason, that this wisdom would remain unknown to us, apart from God revealing. And when we read words today like secret or hidden, that's how we need to understand them, not that somehow we have to sort of figure it out on our own and <laughs> feel our way in the darkness to get there. Rather, it simply means we wouldn't know it unless God reveals it. Right. And so that Epiphany connection is, is very helpful. As you were as you were talking, and just the fact that you, you pointed out that this text does show up in the season of Epiphany in series A, I just started—I looked in the lectionary here in the front of Lutheran service book, and in series A, B, and C, the letter 1 Corinthians shows up each year during the season of Epiphany. So in yeah. series A, it's the first couple chapters. In series B, it's the middle chapters. In series C, it's the the later chapters of 1 Corinthians. Not the entirety of the epistle over the right. three years, but, but a bunch of it. And it strikes me—I'm going to have to think about that a little bit, just as the epistle as a whole— being an epiphany letter, that time in the church here where we're learning who Christ is, seeing him reveal himself in his initial miracles and teachings, that probably fits into the life of the church in Corinth as they're corresponding with the Apostle Paul, learning from their pastor what Christian life looks like. I have to think on that a little bit as I go through this series. Any, any thoughts on 1 Corinthians as a whole being an epiphany
1: epistle? well we know corinth did a lot of trade uh and so that would that would fit into that theme too right this this message that's going to go out and be revealed to all nations all all countries all peoples all tongues uh and so in that way using that congregation as sort of a a model of that very thing that the the divine revelation that epiphany is going to go out everywhere uh, but that happens where the Word is preached. It happens where uh, Christ is present and where his people are.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it's all going to be centered, as Paul's making plain here in these opening chapters, it will all be centered on Christ and him crucified. That's, that's what Paul came preaching. That's what he wants the Corinthians to continue to remember. So with that, let's take a look here at chapter 2 of First Corinthians. But we have the mind of Christ. That's our text for today. That's 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 to 16. Pastor Jones, the text begins with a pretty clear connection here to the previous section where Paul spoke of the message of the cross as the power and wisdom of God. And as he recalls now his time with the Corinthians for that year and a half, as you said earlier, he reminds them of how his message, his preaching was centered on that. Take us into this first section of the chapter with that emphasis that paul gives
1: yeah well he comes right out referencing his stay with them right during his his journey there and again that was likely the early 50s 50 51 right in that time Uh, and his preaching at that time would have been straightforward and simple he's not catering his message or even his his verbal styles to the trends of the time Uh, in the Greco-Roman world, and very likely, especially in Corinth, as it is sort of a hub of, of everything, rhetoric, persuasive, poetic, or eloquent speech construction was very popular. Uh, the influential philosophy of the time was often constructed and delivered using the most popular techniques that were available. And they, there were groups of, or individuals that would travel around and deliver speeches of philosophy and persuasion for payment. they People would pay them just to sort of hear this as an art form, like paying to go see a lecturer. Uh, they functioned that way, you know, essentially. And, and Paul is stressing that he was not like one of those people. He, he was trying to communicate the importance of Christ and the life-changing truth of his crucifixion and resurrection. That is the centrality of everything he's trying to do. Um, now, it, it should probably be said that Paul's not like condemning using beautiful language or pleasing and persuasive language or even the art of rhetoric as a, as a discipline in how we construct our our, our, our speeches and, and those sorts of things. Uh, or even to put that in service to the gospel. Those can all be wonderful things. In fact, Paul does that. He uses rhetorical devices throughout several of his letters in the New Testament. Uh, and he'll even do so with differing styles depending on who he's writing to. So he'll sort of cater um, his message to the audience. Uh, I believe it's um, uh, Ephesians actually uses a form of rhetoric called epideictic rhetoric, which is very long, complex sentences and big, fancy words. And so that one is why we get long, long, jumbled sentences in our English translations sometimes, because that's the type of rhetoric Paul is using. So he's not condemning the, the rhetoric as a discipline but rather he's trying to stress that he's not doing that. He's not uh, just putting on a show with his message uh, when he was there before. He's just trying to show them that all of this, everything he is about, everything he's trying to bring them is the truth found in Christ. Um, Again, it's, it's, it's good for us to use Or for preachers to be trained in effective public speaking and to study the use of those first article gifts of communication, but all of that is so it would be in service to presenting the gospel. Uh, Paul is setting a distinction between those who are just uh, putting on an exhibition of speech for profit and the importance and substantial impact of the message that he was sharing with them. He's all going, going to do that to set up the contrast between earthly wisdom and divine wisdom, which is what the rest of the passage is going to be about, but that's what he's opening up with. Hey, remember when I was there? This is what I was doing, and now we're going to really talk about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So this is not an excuse for the pastor just to show up in the pulpit not having prepared any sort of idea as to what he <laughs> is planning to say or how he plans to structure it. As you said, (laughs) Paul's epistles bear quite the mark of strong use of rhetoric, and the reality is that God has given us the gospel in words, which means you have to use grammar and structure and rhetoric to communicate. So these are not bad things, but they are not the point. The point is that rhetoric, that structure, that grammar communicates the gospel which is nothing but Christ and him crucified." So keep, take, us, take us deeper into what Paul's saying here.
1: Right. So Paul's concerned first and foremost with communicating the fulfillment of God's promise of salvation in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. When he says, I, I was a result to know nothing amongst you except Christ and him crucified, it's not like, it's just, oh, Jesus as that singular thing, and then he died. No, it's everything, right? He's, it's synecdoche, the part for the whole. Yeah. So the entire life, death, resurrection of Christ and what that does, um, that is where he wants people's hope and confidence to rest. He does not want them to de- be dependent upon the style and delivery, but on the substance and content of the message that he's bringing to them. He wants them to see the power of God, not just the power of human words. He, he does not want the people to be disillusioned by a message that's all flash and no substance. So there's there's some discussion on what Paul meant when he says a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Um, some have said Paul's performing miracles in the name of Jesus. And we see some of that in Acts, so that's a possibility. Um, others have said it's, it's an allusion to Christ's miracles, um, which... I suppose is a possibility too. I tend to think it's about Christ's crucifixion and resurrection since that is what Paul states his sole point in content is. Um, so only God can raise someone from the dead. That is the demonstration of his power. It also speaks to God's power compared to human wisdom. So God uses death to bring life. The death of Christ brings new life to those who believe. And then Paul's own experiences are a demonstration of this very power, right? Paul's conversion is the application of christ's work in a real world situation here's one who was you know the 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 mightiest of the the pharisees was persecuting christians he was brought low and now he's brought to prominence again in a whole new life Yeah. yeah no and i think so i appreciate a couple things that you've
0: said one the fact that when paul says i resolve to know nothing among you but christ and him crucified this doesn't mean that Paul only said Jesus died, but rather <laughs> it does It means that he preached the whole counsel of God in right. Christ, right. centered in the resor- or in the death of of Jesus. It's quite striking that he says this here in chapter two, and in chapter fifteen of this same epistle he will meditate at length and preach at length concerning the fact that Christ is risen from the dead, and that makes all the difference. So right. to know nothing but Christ and him crucified is to proclaim the entire work of Christ. I, At my, my previous congregation in Texas, at one point on our church marquee, I had placed, I think it was from 1 Corinthians 1, I think I said, we preach Christ crucified, and I put it at the beginning of the season of Lent, and it's it stayed there for quite some time. Uh, finally, someone from the community—I don't know who it was—I assume it was someone from the community—put one of those those crosses that sometimes you'll see in people's yards, and it's one that gets turned around when Easter shows up. That said, He is risen, sure. and, and so our church sign says we preach Christ crucified, and someone put He is risen. <laughs> I was thinking, well, yeah, we preach that too. That's what's in Christ crucified. Right. So, so I appreciate that 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 important uh, note. That Christ crucified, that includes the whole work of Christ. Yes. At the same time, a strong emphasis on the fact that Christ is crucified, because that seeming defeat is actually right. victory. And yes. if you leave that part out, then you've, you've missed it. So yes, it's everything, but there's this strong emphasis on the crucifixion, too.
1: Right, right. Which is, again, what Paul's after in this particular text. The, the, that's the foolishness. That's the, the wisdom that doesn't make sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think too, then the other thing I, I appreciate you bringing out is what he says there about where your faith rests, not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yeah. I do think the power of God, we need to keep it in the context here. Paul said that the message of Christ crucified is the power of God. Yes. So this this power he's talking about is, I think, his preaching of Christ crucified among them. That's where he wants their faith to rest, not in him. And I I think when you go back into chapter one and what's coming up here in chapter three, where he's going to talk about, you know, I did one thing, Apollos did something else. You guys are saying, I follow this guy or that guy. You're missing the point. Right. It's not about who's the best preacher. It's about the message that they're proclaiming. And that's where your faith has to rest. Right. So that we don't like develop some kind of cult of personality in the church. Uh, ultimately, you know, pastors are, are replaceable. They're all going to preach... The same thing,
1: Christ crucified, and that's the point, right? I've, I, you know, jokingly but only slightly, tell you know people that all the time. If you ever hear me proclaiming something up here that isn't Jesus, you need to you need to replace me. You need to get rid of me. That's my job, is to show Jesus in everything we do. You uh, know, Paul, as the the part you mentioned, Paul says that himself, right? Some follow Paul, some follow Paul, but is Christ divided? No, we're all after the same thing. We're trying to bring you Jesus.
0: Yeah, that's right. And I I think you, again, you see this here with Paul bringing home that same point that he did in chapter 1, and again, it's going to come up in chapter 3, that he wants their faith to be not in him, Mm -hmm. not in his ability as a preacher, but rather in the power of God, this message of Christ crucified. and. God grant that to all our pastors and all of our congregations. Yes. You know, we were speaking about this in adult catechesis recently here at Faith, that you know, the, the pastor shouldn't be the reason that you're coming to church. The pastor also shouldn't be the reason you're not coming to church.
1: This it, is so true. <laughs> <laughs> Remove all the barriers, whether they be for us uh, with that flash and no substance. Or whether it be because we have put up a barrier of apathy or um, I'm trying to be kind uh, <laughs> uh, wh- whatever what, whatever we're doing in our practice becomes just insufferable and, and unbearable and um, a hindrance to communicating the gospel
0: yeah yeah, yeah, so I mean on the one hand, because again, thinking through this epistle, first Corinthians nine Paul's going to talk about how he seeks to be all things to all people, he seeks to communicate the gospel to all people, to remove those hindrances from him that might exist from his own person and preacher. Right. At the same time, he knows that there is this message that he has been given to proclaim and nothing else, Christ in him crucified, and that is a stumbling block, as he's called it, a cause for offense, something that causes yeah. people to fall, and he won't remove that. And so, for the, again, for the pastor, the call is going to be, don't become a hindrance yourself, but for the hearer, which I think is where, where chapter two is more directed, the hearer, the message is, don't let the person of the preacher, his quirks, his habits, his tone of voice, don't let that become a hindrance for you. Keep your focus on the message that he's proclaiming, Christ and him crucified.
1: Right. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So words both for preacher and for hearer in this (laughs) epistle, which we all do well to take to heart. We're going to keep looking at first Corinthians chapter two more on the other side of the break. You're listening to sharper iron on KFUO. We're talking to pastor Rick Jones this morning. We will be right back. Please stick around.
2: Did you know that an investment with Lutheran Church Extension Fund exclusively supports LCMS ministries and church workers? That's right! LCEF ensures LCMS churches, schools, and organizations have access to the financial resources they need to sustain, strengthen, and start ministry work. In other words, you can feel good investing with LCEF because we share your Lutheran values and love for the church. Learn more at lcef.org.
0: Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, November 16th. We're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 1 to 16 with Pastor Rick Jones. He is chaplain and vice president of Spiritual Life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota. Pastor Jones, prior to the break, we looked through verse 5. Paul has been reciting for the Corinthians his ministry among them for that year and a half, reminding them that he had proclaimed Christ in him crucified as the power of God. And that's where true wisdom lies and now that invites him then into this contrast between the wisdom of men that's not what he was proclaiming in verse 5 but there is a wisdom he talks about in verse 6 and that's really where the rest of this text is going to take us into this wisdom that comes from God how you get it how you learn it so take us into this next section starting
1: there in verse 6 yeah so Paul's now moving A little bit, right? He starts with reiterating the centrality of Christ uh, in explaining. He's going from that, the the centrality of his message in Christ, to now explaining what the reality of Christ's work and the knowledge of Christ is going to do in the world. Um, The message of Jesus is at odds with the world around the Corinthians, that worldly wisdom that they're seeing everywhere. Indeed, it's still at odds with the world around us today, but Paul does not want people to have trust in the limitations of human wisdom. So he points them instead to God's wisdom, which is what this whole sort of back and forth um, conversation is that he's presenting here. Our wisdom and understanding is 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 limited. That worldly one, not only because we are finite, right? We are mortal beings living in a specific time and place, so we can only see from this context as it is, but also because every aspect of our being has been corrupted by sin. Our understanding is now tweaked and askew because it is limited to our own perceptions. It will always happen through a sinful lens. As Paul says elsewhere, we see but through a glass darkly. Um, It's a lens that will always see through selfishness, narcissism, greed, fear, or ignorance. Any of those failings that we see in ourselves. Paul's introducing people now to a new wisdom. They've seen all that. They've experienced all that other stuff. But now God's wisdom is going to be put on display. With God, our rules do not apply. So our experience is marked by death and failure. God's is not. God overcomes every human limitation to undermine and ultimately to redeem our corrupted earthly experiences. Because of our sinful nature is the message of the gospel that has been hidden or is obscured the world does not understand God's plan and promise of salvation but he will not be overcome right? That's echoes of John. Well, John maybe was probably written later, but it's the same message there, right? He will not be overcome. He will instead use the world's ways against them. And this is the scandal of the gospel, the stumbling block to the wise, the foolishness, and the folly of the world that Paul has already mentioned in this letter, that God would prove victorious when it looks like he's defeated. He would bring eternal life from an earthly death, that God would show glory through humiliation and he would demonstrate his power through Jesus's submission. The sinfulness of the world crucified Jesus. That's what Paul's getting at with, it was by this, those leaders, those, those earthly rulers that did this. But this was part of God's plan the whole time. Paul says the deep things of God, right? We can't understand it. Until it's presented to us.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, and that, again, that's the, the key when we think about this matter of secret and hidden. It's not something that we have to sort of feel out on our own right. as some sort of detective novel, or like, oh, the, the ways of God are mysterious, that's true, right. and that means that he has to reveal them to you. And, and right. when he does reveal them to you, and this is where this passage is going to go, that means that you now do understand and believe them, but not in the sense that they necessarily go, you comprehend it as if you would have done it that way, or you can always wrap your mind around it, but in the sense that you understand what the words mean that you are confessing, and that you do confess these things. So no, this isn't human wisdom, and it would have been hidden and secret, but God has now revealed it, and I think that That language of before the ages, that's when God decreed these things. He knew what he was going to do all along. He had this wisdom in mind, but now it's been revealed to us, and the moment of revelation is, this is Paul's point, it's Christ crucified. That's where you see this wisdom that was secret and hidden before, now you see it clearly, because Christ has been crucified.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's all the, the whole plan. Everything that was promised from the very beginning in the Old Testament, right? Since Genesis 3, this is the one that is going to crush the serpent's head. This is the one who is going to bring the reconciliation. This is the one who is going to take care of it all. And they had millennia of just this promise. Yeah. And, yeah. and now, and finally, after all these generations and generations of waiting and crying out, How long, O oh Lord? Uh, and, and looking forward to that day of the Lord, now it has come. Yeah, that's right, that's right. Now
0: in, in verse 8 of this text, where Paul says the rulers of this age didn't understand this wisdom of God, yeah. because if they had, they would have crucified, as he says, the Lord of glory, that's a, a key passage, of course, within the context of what Paul's writing. It's also a key passage when we think about who Jesus is, especially as he dies on the cross. Paul says they crucified the Lord of glory. As we sing in our Lenten hymn sometimes, God died on the cross. Not just a human being. Yes, Jesus is a human being, but he is also fully divine, to the point that Paul can say they crucified the Lord of glory, which is a remarkable mystery in and of itself. That that God would die for me. And yeah. again, that's that's a you know something that we meditate upon during the season of Lent, especially. But this is one of those texts that as a as an aside but it's important teaches very much so the divinity of Jesus the full divinity of Jesus even as he's dying so that we yes. confess God died
1: yeah oh absolutely and and again that idea that this is the lord of glory the one that is above everything that that idea of glory above and outside of and Greater than anything else, this is the Creator Himself, the One who stands outside of the universe, and He was killed. He 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 submits Himself to that, uh, to the hands of of those that are that are dirty and filthy by comparison, right? The opposite of glory hangs the glorious One on the cross.
2: Yeah,
0: that's right, and and that is His glory, that is His yes, power, yes. that is His wisdom. I mean and again you can see how as you start to meditate upon these words then you see just how how much the world's wisdom can't comprehend this right. and it is right. only through the spirit of God that we believe and understand such things.
1: Yes, the lamb having been slain. Yeah. yeah. That is yeah. that is his state now. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: then as as Paul continues, he brings up something that is written in verse 9. <laughs> and this is one of those places where It sounds like Paul's quoting from the Old Testament, the way that it's looked, it's set off in your English Bibles, is as a quotation. He's clearly quoting something, but the exact citation, at least as we often think of citations, chapter and verse, is hard to ascertain. Although, you know, we just studied the book of Hebrews recently here on Sharper Iron, and as that author, who could be Paul... Uh, likes to sometimes say, somewhere it is written. So <laughs> I, I think perhaps having read Hebrews now, somewhere. we'll we'll be okay with not being able to see perhaps a chapter and verse here, but right. we can get a sense for what Paul's, where he's coming from at least. So take us into yeah. to what he's saying there in verse 9.
1: Yeah, so as you're alluding to, we don't know exactly what Paul is citing as being written. Um Many commentators will note that it's Isaiah 64.4, but that says, From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you, who acts for those who wait for him. That's not exactly the same thing. (laughs) Uh, It's the closest I have found looking through English translations and with the various things that um, other commentators appoint to that one seems to be the closest, but it's it's definitely not the exact thing. Uh, perhaps um, the best explanation is either um, from Clement of Rome who says it is the Septuagint version of Isaiah 644. So that's the Greek translation of the the old Hebrew manuscripts, and there there are some, Minor differences here and there, nothing that ever changes the meaning or the, the, the content or anything like that. But there's a few little nuances that change as you go back and forth between languages, and maybe they had a slightly different text that they're going from. Um, and so, this is a possibility. This is actually where we see John the Baptist when they're talking about the voice calling in the wilderness. That's sort of a, that's a misquotation of Isaiah because it comes from the Septuagint version instead of the Hebrew version. So maybe that's what's going on here. Another possibility that is sometimes mentioned is that it's from a non-canonical book. Um, so Origen and Jerome, two other church fathers, they mention the Apocalypse of Elijah. I'm not convinced by their <laughs> arguments, but that's okay. Um, that work is extremely fragmented, and the authorship is pretty um, suspect and the date as well. We're not positive on all the sections of it. So um, it also could just be, you know, they don't have all these things at their fingertips like we do nowadays. We kind of take it for granted, Uh, not just the chapter and verse numbers, which were added much later, but just being able to look up and reference these things, right? We can do it from our, our, our phone. We can do it anytime we want. They're trying to do this all from memory. So perhaps Paul is just misremembering a section of Isaiah, or he's putting two verses together and it, you know it happens it's it's okay what really matters okay i say saying, i don't think I,
0: I don't think i would say that paul's misremembering but sure. rather because you know the apostles at least the the 12 have the promise of jesus that the holy spirit's going to bring to their remembrance all that jesus taught and I think Paul is one who has encountered the risen Lord on the Damascus Road, he counts it in receiving that promise as an inspired author. And I think sure. just to, to that fact that, that these are the inspired scriptures, that the Holy Spirit, through the apostles, interprets the scriptures as they were always meant to be understood, so yeah. that what looks like to us a misquotation. Because of the, and I think you're exactly right to bring up the context in which we live, where we can open it up, and we think of that, if you don't get you know, the comma right, you've right. misquoted, right. that's not the world in which he's living. So that what looks like a, a misquotation to us is actually, if I can say it this way, the Spirit-inspired correct quotation of what was intended in that Old Testament passage, or in the Old Testament as an entirety, all along.
1: Right, and and again, we're not concerned so much with the exact source. Correct. Right. Of this, so it's what's important when it comes to scripture, is that it's true. Right. The sentiment is true. So it doesn't matter, like even the book of Jude, you know, quotes a, a an apocryphal book, but the thing it quotes is true about God, and so in that way, it is the the word that is being carried down, and so that's what. That's where I go with this kind of thing. It's, it's, it doesn't matter where Paul got it from. What matters is that it's true and it's communicated. It's continuing to proclaim the word of God. Uh, God has a plan for saving his people that we cannot ever truly understand without faith. That's what Paul's after with this. And it, whether he heard it from a rabbi reading a, a specific text from the Old Testament or whether it was in some exposition on the text, it's the true sentiment that's being carried forward here and proclaimed.
0: And I think, you know, having heard you read from Isaiah 64, which is what most cross-references in your English Bibles, your study Bibles, right. are going to have, I think having heard that text, while no, it's not an exact quotation, again, as we would understand it, yeah. I definitely can see Paul using that as a sermon text so that it is an allusion to the text at the very least, yeah. even, again, if it's not an exact quotation, so that he is saying, hey, remember what's in Isaiah 64? Let me read that to you in light of what I'm saying about the centrality of Christ crucified. It was hidden beforehand. Your, as, as he says, your eye wouldn't have seen it, your ear wouldn't have heard it, your heart wouldn't have imagined it, but God had prepared it beforehand, and yeah. now it's been revealed to you he's saying that's the sense of what Isaiah, and let me, let me preach that text from Isaiah 64 here really quickly to you yep. in this way. And again, if he wants to say that's what's written, then as the apostle, the Lord, he's allowed to do that.
1: <laughs> yep. Nope. Yep. And you that's know? just fine. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so, but it, and he's ahead. also, uh, it's, it's also reiterating what Jesus said on countless occasions, right? Those who have ears, let them hear. Yep. Um Or you, you, you look for the signs, but you do not receive them it's it's all the same idea you cannot comprehend the truth of the gospel without
0: faith yep yep and only if that faith in is given to you no one no one comes to me unless the Father draws him yes the, the Father is the one who reveals the son or as, as Paul will say here now we're going to see the 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 workings of the the Trinity the Father Son and Holy Spirit working together to reveal you know himself God reveals himself to you. That work, especially now, is going to be attributed to the Holy Spirit in the rest of our text. So as we move into verses 10 and following, help us to see how Paul talks about the role
1: of the Spirit in revealing this wisdom of God to us. Right, so as we keep going in the text, Paul's moving again, right? He, he started with the core of the message itself, Christ crucified, or the full work of, of Christ, to the confusion of the message in a sin-stained world. And now he's going to how the message is understood and received only in faith. The message of salvation by grace alone is completely contrary to our earthly experiences, right? In our experiences, nothing is free. Nothing escapes death and decay. Nothing can be so incredible as what Paul is trying to talk about. These things are only revealed through the work of the Holy Spirit. The gift of faith brings clear sight and divine wisdom. That's where Paul's going. He he goes on to use uh, different explanations for this phenomenon. He he appeals to our inner lives of introspection uh, to point to the Holy Spirit as being part of God's bringing insight to the people. Right, we know in our spirit, or something. I know in my heart, right? That introspection, that ability for us to see the the hidden truths about ourselves. Paul is using this idea to describe the Holy Spirit's relationship with God the Father. The Holy Spirit knows the hidden truths of God, the inner workings of how he's going to save his people. And when that spirit is given to us, we know the truth also. When our lives have been touched by the word, the truth of Christ, the spirit brings that the spirit brings to us, we no longer need to live by the spirit of this world, right? That that broken, that false, that dim or darkly seen spirits can be cast aside because we now have the Holy Spirit. God's spirit is helping us understand everything we need to. He gives us that new wisdom. That's what Paul's doing here. Um, he then goes on to say, you know he, he's again saying that the message was not given by relying on the tricks of human invention. Right? He's not, he's not, doing that, he's relying instead on the power of God that changes our perceptions. God is the one that has the power to do these things. Our consciences are changed. Our lives are changed all by this wisdom being revealed, the spirit coming to us, the work of the Holy Spirit being active in our lives. People who do not have the benefit of faith are confounded or unconvinced. It does not make any sense that a man tortured to death can bring satisfaction for sin. It is ludicrous that someone submitting to execution can make up for our debts. It's insane for someone whose body was broken and humiliated to restore us from brokenness and humiliation, to, to take away our shame. How can someone be raised from the dead and how can life, how can their life promise new life to us? The natural person, that is the, those that are still stuck in their sinful nature, Cannot understand this. Only the spiritual person, the one who's been converted, the one who's been gifted faith, understands God's precious gift. We have been blessed with faith in Christ, that even now our vision, our discernment is redeemed. I think that's where he's going with that idea of the spiritual person judges all things. It's discernment, it's not about condemnation, it's about understanding.
0: Yeah, I think I think discern is a, a good word for the way we should understand what he's saying there about judging things as a spiritual person. I also appreciate how you make sure we understand the word s- spiritual person yeah. as one who's been given faith in Christ, not right. spiritual in the vague sort of spirituality that you might encounter in our world today. I'm right. spiritual but not religious, sort yep, of word. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah rather spiritual and the way that the way that I like to to make that note for people today is just to to note within the word spiritual the word spirit so spiritual right so as christians we are those who have been given faith by the holy spirit so for us to be spiritual means to be gifted from hmm. the holy spirit that's the type of spiritual paul's talking about here not some sort of vague spirituality which I think we also would do well to remember the word spirit there, that there are other spirits, as the scriptures made plain to us, and you don't want to
1: mess with some of that spirituality, just to put it simply. Right. No, there's, and again, especially in Corinth, right, he knows his audience. There's lots of different competing philosophies here. There's lots of different... um, fads and tricks and the next thing being presented to this people and he's he's helping them to see no nope, don't be distracted by all that stuff don't you can't give in to to the easy view that's trying to be sold to you it's a bill of goods here's the real stuff and it's okay if it if it's hard it's okay if it's confusing it should be because it is at odds with our sinfulness this is the opposite of that that's what he's, he's endeavoring to do. That's why he has to do it so many times, right? This whole section, this whole chapter is him reiterating this point. Yes, he makes steps to go from, okay, remember we were talking about Jesus? This is why it's confusing. And then he goes from this is why it's confusing to and here's how it works. This is why some of you get it. And it's, it's now a, a wonderful joy for you because the Spirit has been given. Uh, he's, he's going through that whole thing, and it's, yeah, it's tough, and we we struggle every day, right? That's, that sinful Adam can hold his breath a long time, even when we drown him every morning. Yeah, that's right.
0: <laughs> that's right. I, I really, within this section, as I was reading it in preparation for our conversation, verse 12 stood out to me, I, again, thinking through this idea of secret and hidden that he's talked about, that on the one hand, this wisdom is secret or hidden, it has to be revealed to you, but notice that in verse 12, he says, "Now "...we have received, not the Spirit of this world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God." Yeah. So yeah. this secret hidden wisdom doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to find it. He wants you to have it. He gives it to you freely. Right. It's just that the only way you will understand it is if you forsake your human wisdom and strength and merit— and instead receive from him, from his Spirit, the wisdom. So he wants to give it to you. He has given it to you in this message. Don't stumble over the fact that it looks like weakness and foolishness to your wisdom, but rather rejoice in the fact that it's something you don't get unless the Spirit comes to you, and he has. So I, I, I really appreciate that verse 12 there as a reminder that this is something God wants and desires for people. He's not hiding it. He's, he's revealing it, right? but you have to receive it in the way that he reveals it and no other way.
1: Right, it's, it's all going back to that same thing. This comes from God, it comes from what he's done in Christ, and even that is going to be the gift. Um, our strength fails, our, our, our glory fades, but his lasts forever. Yeah. That's what he's giving us. Uh, faith, right. uh, grace is by faith alone. Our salvation is by grace alone, and our access is faith alone, but all of this is the working of the Holy Spirit. It's all a gift. That's, that's how this is being given to us, yeah, freely that's right. given. That's right.
0: We have yeah. about three minutes here, Pastor Jones. Yeah. Help us to, to wrap things up on this chapter from 1 Corinthians.
1: Yeah, so as we struggle to live out our lives of faith, uh, we should not be surprised that that people don't understand us or our motivations, right? Even we are in that boat sometimes. That's what Paul's trying to do to encourage the Corinthians here. Our world has been so corrupted by sin that God's grace is completely contrary to the way everything else in our world works. But that is exactly why the message of the gospel is so important. Our lives in this sin-broken world are harsh and painful, no matter what we are looking for for our stability or putting, uh, trying to find our salvation, in, it will let us down eventually. All right, the bank account is never big enough. Our strength will fade. Our health will fail. The people we love and care about will at some point let us down. Our minds age and falter. Our relationships weaken and break with tension and conflict. But God comes with a message that undermines all those empty sources of hope and trust. Not that those things aren't good, they're gifts in and of themselves, but they're not what we put our faith in. They are not going to bring us salvation. But God does. He gives us something that undermines the expectations and perceived results of this world. He gives us his son who selflessly lays down his life to bring forgiveness, healing, reconciliation, and salvation to the suffering world. What our eyes have not seen, he enlightens. What our ears have not heard, he proclaims. What our hearts have not imagined, he makes a reality. And all of it is by grace. It rests on him. That's what Paul means when he says he is determined to know nothing amongst us except Christ and him crucified, that he is the source of everything we will ever need. And that was planned out from the beginning by God.
0: Pastor Rick Jones is Chaplain and Vice President of Spiritual Life at the Dakota Boys and Girls Ranch in Minot, North Dakota. He has been helping us today to study 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. Pastor Jones, thanks for being our guest today.
1: Absolutely. always enjoy being here. Thanks for having me. Nothing
0: except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. This is Paul's laser-like focus? Is it as the focus of the church still today? All that Christ has done, though it seems weakness and foolishness, that is power and wisdom from God. Wisdom that is not understood according to our nature our sinful nature but rather can only be understood through the spirit of god and the spirit of god has been given to you dear christian the spirit of god has come to you in baptism he has come to you in the word so that he opens your eyes so that you do have the mind of christ and you can understand and believe these things that god reveals to you freely thanks be to god I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about 1 Corinthians 2, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It is always a joy to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.